so the purple squirrel you know what's interesting about the purple squirrel is that it's purple is that it's unusual is that it's strange is that it's hard to find and your entire recruiting life is about seems to be some days anyway finding that purple squirrel maybe you should be a purple squirrel we'll be right back welcome to the talent cast i'm your host james ellis this podcast has one simple goal to change the conversation around recruiting, employer brand, and hiring. Simple as that. The only way we can do that is by making this a 100% no-pitch zone, meaning no one's making any money, no one's giving any money, nobody's sponsoring anything. So please come join us, come learn, come engage in this conversation, come grow our industry with me. Uh, if you want to talk to me, I'm on Twitter, at The War for Talent, or you can look at our website, thetalentcast.com. Otherwise, let's get to it. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis here. So, welcome to TalentCast. I got some housekeeping. Just got back from the Talent Brand Summit. Uh, We'll talk about that in a second. Fantastic. If you can go next March or whenever the heck they're going to do it, you should go. Don't join till I sign up, so I make sure I get my seat. Anyway, uh, also going to be at the Social Recruiting Strategies Conference in Austin at some point in August. Uh, Go sign up for that bad boy. And that's really what I got scheduled. Oh, I got a webinar on... Thursday, Wednesday, something like that this week um, about uh, funnels, stuff. You should definitely take a listen to that. I'll make sure it's all in the show notes, blah, 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 blah. Anywho, so like I said, Talent Brand Strategies or Talent Brand uh, Summit, which is, I know if you go look at the hashtag TB Summit, um, it was lovingly referred to as a summer camp for employer brand nerds. And as a summer camp kid myself, I can attest, yeah, that's about right. Um, (laughs) It was... Anywhere from six to eight hours of just hardcore getting in the weeds with other professionals and other employer brand geeks and nerds such as myself, um, asking smart questions, asking dumb questions, questioning assumptions, getting under you know the surface of stuff, hearing what other people are doing, hearing what other people's challenges are, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There are companies from that were massive, 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 and there were companies that weren't. Um, so it was the whole gamut. There were certain rules in terms of things like uh, what stays, what happens in the room stays in the room, and there's a confidentiality assumption. So I can't tell you that company X has a brand new expectation where they're going to do A, B, and C. Not going to do that. But I will tell you. And I was taking notes furiously, and hopefully in the next couple of days or weeks, we'll get you know one of the downloads, all the tables had scribes and collected notes, and we'll get all that stuff, and it's going to be fascinating stuff, because I'm only one human being. I know I sound schizophrenic, but I'm only one human being, and I could only be one table at once uh, at any given time, so I could not hear all the stuff that was happening, and I know while there was amazing stuff happening right in front of me, there was probably amazing stuff happening all around me I didn't hear. So, super looking for that. Why do I bring that up? Well... It's a great question. I, I think I wanted to, I, I, I planned on having this episode like a week ago being, here are all the things I learned at Talent Brand Summit. And it really wasn't like that. And I think what's interesting is you get to a level of experience or a level of technical skill at which you say, okay, it's not about learning things. And to steal from uh, from Brian over at Indeed, who definitely said this, and he became my Zen master immediately. It's not about knowing the road. It's about walking the road or about walk, knowing the path or walking the path. I'm not going to quote him exactly because I can't remember. Anyway, um, Look, we all know this basic stuff. We all know, look, you got to find, know your audience and reach out to where they are and, and, and give them something that motivates them and that, that, that connects with them and all this good stuff. And we all know this stuff and we all know, hey, Facebook channels and Indeed channels and LinkedIn channels and Glassdoor channels and, and marketing and branding and messaging and 
customer journey and funnels and the whole ball of wax. We all know it, right? None of this is new. None of this is rocket scientists. None of this is, you know, there is no one coming down from the mountain with a bunch of stone tablets saying, thou shalt know thy audience, right? That would be hilarious, and I would laugh at them, but maybe that's, that's like a good kind of, maybe that's how they'll kickstart the next one. Brian and Will can, can dress up as Moses coming down off the mountain with stone tablets. Uh, guys, don't do that. That would be weird. Um, <laughs> I'm not drunk. But one thing that seemed to permeate conversations... And I don't know where the instinct comes from. I have some guesses, but I can't say for sure where it's coming from. Is the instinct to drive to the middle. Now, let me, ref- let me explain what I'm talking about. We all know that when you're hiring a developer, nurse, dentist, uh, veterinarian, apparently that's a thing, uh, you, one hires for, um, d- d- game designer, uh, you name it, right? You're, you're trying to find someone amazing, someone who fits. And we could spend all sorts of time talking about fit, and as this podcast has, <laughs> we could. Um, and that's great. But it starts with the assumption with this idea that if I cast a wide enough net and my sorcerer is good enough and my recruiter is good enough and is good at filtering and winnowing and sorting and defining what fit is and finding that purple squirrelishness within this you know pile of squirrels, as it were, to extend that metaphor far beyond. And now I'm envisioning literally a pile of squirrels. And if there is no better you know, kind of description of what an ATS is. It's the sorter of a pile of squirrels. I can't think of one. I'm enjoying that. I like that. It, it seems to work for me. But you're hoping that the recruiter can look at that pile of squirrels, take most of them away and say, here are the two or three that could be purple squirrels. I can't quite tell. And the hiring manager's there to say, yep, that one's the purple squirrel. That's the one I want. Right? That's, that's the idea. And we say, if we're trying to find a great developer or a project manager or data analyst, and we had an exercise in which we worked with a persona named Robin, who was a data analyst. We, you know, she was female. She was 31. She did. She was into this and not into that. Uh, and we tried to figure out how do you reach her, how do you communicate her, and it was great because it was fascinating to see how everybody tended to go towards Facebook and channels where how can I see as many people where it wasn't about look I know this about Robin so therefore I'm gonna go find a Robin and we had challenges we say here's a bunch of money how do we attract a bunch of these Robin type people to us well what you do is you talk to anybody who might sort of kinda look like Robin or who might also be on those channels just like Robin and we'll communicate as widely as humanly possible and invariably we'll get a Robin which I think is a mistake. One of the things I keep trying to push back on is this notion that this idea that you need X number of candidates to have any given hire, that the goal is to fill the top of the funnel with, with valid potential candidates, and at the bottom of the funnel is the one, two, three, five people who could potentially do the job, and the hiring manager gets to pick the one they want. I don't agree. I really do think that once you get beyond two, three, four, five years of expertise. And I'm really starting to believe that companies that are successful who aren't hiring commoditized skills, who are truly hiring people, individuals, they need to look for them one at a time. Meaning, it's not about, if you have a project where you say, okay, I have a $10,000, $15,000 campaign to attract 10 data analysts like Robin. The trick is not to say, I'm gonna make a huge event 
and I'm going to let all these different people self-select and say, I want to come to this event, and you define which are the ones that are most likely to be hired, and you invite them over, or you do a thing, and you spend all this money, or you spend money marketing this hashtag, or marketing this event, or marketing this challenge, or marketing this idea, and it's all good. They're all valid, interesting, useful ways of doing things, but you're going to burn $15,000 to bring in a dozen people to your office, of whom 10 of whom you won't hire. And I'm thinking, well, if you had 15000 and you said, okay, what would I do with $2,000 to bring that person in? Why wouldn't you say, hey, sorcerer, find the greatest person at this job? And you would say, look, I will spend, I will give, and, and tell the person that maybe the pitch is not, well, you say, well, only 5% of those Robins really respond, right? And I said, no, 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 you're not going to send a mass email. You're not going to find 100 Robin lookalikes. You're going to find the one Robin we want. And we are going to figure out where this Robin lives. And you're going to figure out what, and I want you to troll this person's Facebook and LinkedIn for an hour. And I want you to get to know this Robin. Hobbies, where they spend their time, what they read, what they do, what they think about. And I want you to reach out to that Robin as a friend and say, hey, I've been trolling your profile for a while now. I'm a huge fan of what you're doing. I know you're not looking for a job. But if I gave you $500 right now, would you spend an hour on the phone with me? Now, who says no to that? First off, assuming you don't come across as a total spamming you know, bastard um, or some sort of con artist, who says no to that? And it's worth it to you because you've spent the time, you've done the research, you found the person, and you're not making the pitch to this Robin that, hey, we're great. It's about here's in specific what we know about you what we think you're looking for, and how we match up with you exactly. And here's what you're going to get out of this. Here's what you're going to get out of this experience, this job, this, 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 this time with us. And you go look at job descriptions, and there's this head nod towards, you're going to learn a lot, but we never say what. Or you're going to have a great time, but does everybody have the same kind of great time? Or we really committed to employees. Well, every kind of employee, because every employee is different. Because we're focused on this casting a wide net, developing a tool that talks to and reaches as many people as humanly possible, we're missing the opportunity to speak to people on the individual. Now, this is dangerous because there's safety in talking to the mass, right? You don't make much of you. How many, how many job descriptions have, or job postings have a joke in them, like a flat-out joke? Probably none, almost none, or like a, a rounding error so small that makes no difference, right? None. Why? Well, because what's funny to me is not necessarily what's funny to you. And what's funny to you is not necessarily funny to your hiring manager, is not necessarily funny to all candidates, because nothing is truly valuable to everyone. The only things we all agree on as human beings as a race, puppies are cute, the sky is blue, and everything else is debatable. Everything else, there's going to be 5% people who go, nope, disagree. Earth is flat, <laughs> Right? I mean, we can't even agree that the planet's round. We can't even all agree that the planet is round. So obviously we fudge to the middle. When the truth is, the company that's super successful is the one who embraces the function of being different. We talked about Sephora a couple weeks ago in job descriptions, and we talked about how where you and I and every other company seemingly on the planet talks about job postings as here's some text, here's the job requirements, and here's the job description. And we label them such. And Sephora goes out of their way to say, no, 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 no. Instead of saying requirements, 
we're going to say, we're really excited to talk to you if you have the following. And instead of job descriptions, it might be something along the lines of, this is how you're going to spend your time. That is different. Not like obviously, not hitting you, hitting you in the face. In fact, I've shown those job descriptions to people and they don't even notice those subtle differences. D different differences? How, I'm n what? Wow, English is a first language, I swear. Um, they don't even acknowledge that that's a difference. They don't even see how surprising and strange that is. It's so, they're so used to seeing requirements and job descriptions that they almost scan past those big bulleted, or not bulleted, those, uh, those labels above the bulleted chunks of text. They jump straight to, okay, what are, the, what are the details? They're looking for the magic in the words of the bullets and in missing the magic that happens in the framing. What if you went you know, another step further? What if there were literal jokes in those labels? Why? Well, because you're a funny hire manager and you're a funny, quirky, weird company. And you know what? You want to hire people who are kind of funny and weird and quirky. Embrace the quirky. Embrace this being different. You're not going to... What IBM does and what Amazon does and what Target does and what, you know, Pablo's wacky, wacky shack, you know, let's assume, uh, they're going to be different. They're going to appeal to different people, so be different. And yet somehow when you look at most of these companies, their job descriptions, their postings, their verbiage, their focus, their brand are very, 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 very similar. You know who's super famous right now and for good reason? Rihanna. And it has, I mean, it has a lot to do with being uh, a, a gorgeous woman, making amazing songs that are super popular right now. But right now, why I find Rihanna, Rihanna fascinating is this Fenty line of makeup and soon to be lingerie, I think. Now, I'm not a makeup guy, don't know enough about it. Yes, I do think Sephora is an amazing experience, but I generally just buy cologne there. Not much of a makeup guy. But I know enough women, and I know just enough women who are not obvious makeup people, meaning white, thin women, who say they are blown away by the, the quality of what Fenty's putting out that it matches who they are. And I know brown women and black women and curvy women and stick figure thin women. And they all are blown away that this is products designed for them. Now, why the hell would I bring this up? Other than, you know, to praise a really cool product. Well, it's because what Fenty and Rihanna said was that, okay, Maybelline and Mac and Max Factor and NARS and whatever. Name any kind of makeup company. They all tend to lean towards the middle. And how they define the middle is 20 to 40-year-old, fairly thin, white women. Right? Now, I will put an asterisk next to MAC because MAC seems to have gone fairly hard on a trans community. In, a, in an interesting way, in a surprising way, that they're very comfortable reaching out to that audience to say, if you're uh, physically a dude and you'd like to look like a, more of a woman and there's makeup is the way you think you can do that, we are totally on board and let us help you do that. And that's unusual, obviously. Maybelline's not got a big trans uh, uh, campaign out there, right? But that's what they've done. But in so doing, all these companies are fighting over what they perceive to be the magic middle, the 80% market. And there's a hundred companies fighting over that company. And they don't spend the time to think and look left and look right and say, what are we missing? 
not because we want to gobble up what they think of what they think of as crumbs on the table what another company sees as an untapped market an unserviced market these are people who when they buy Maybelline, it doesn't quite look right or it doesn't quite work right for them. Why? Because they're not the magic middle. They're not that 20 to 40 year old white women, right? They're black. They're Latino, Latina. They're Asian. God, why do you not see many Asian makeup companies, right? There's, I mean, what's Korean is a whole different ballgame. That's and we I mean, I'm diving way into a, a subject I don't know enough about to say, to talk about, but you get this idea that well, everybody's fighting over what they perceive to be the big prize. Here's a company destroying it on the edges, making a name for themselves on the edges, becoming famous for being super high quality for people who are normally not serviced by your standard companies and are going to do a great job coming back to the middle. They're going to come back. Instead of trying to launch a company that says, hey, here's company 101 aimed at that same audience, we're going to get super famous killing it. On the, on the edges, on the periphery, as it were, in the 20% that is underserved, or maybe even 40%, I don't know what the demographics might be, but the percentage of people who are underserved by those big companies make a huge name for ourselves, servicing them and saying, look, it's not just we made a slightly different color. It's that we went and, and talked to a million black women and a million Latina, Latina women and said, what do you really want? What really works for you? And we, did the, we didn't call you an add-on. We called you our core audience. Make a huge name for yourself, and suddenly, white women are turning over the side and going, "Why is everybody so in love with that company?" And they're going to pull market share away from Maybelline, Max Factor, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Being different, serving a different audience, was entirely the point. Is what I'm trying to say. They didn't treat black women and Latino women as, "Oh yeah, I guess we should serve them too." Which is kind of, sort of, how in the Maybellines and Max Factors, not to pick on them or anything, obviously, but the, you know, big makeup companies, brand, drugstore and you know, brand name makeup companies, they treat black and brown women, Asian women, Latino women. They treat them as, oh yeah, I guess we should serve that market too. And they take all the thinking for white women and they say, okay, how do we kind of give it that tweak so that I guess it'll be okay for them too. Instead, Rihanna and Fenty said, how do we start with this underserved audience? Starting with them. Sephora is the same way. If, and I don't know if this is intentional, but it's certainly how it's playing out. They start, instead of saying by, let's do what everybody else does, which by the way is focusing on men, because men are the magic middle in this story, right? Most of your talent, most of your job descriptions skew masculine. Most of your executives are masculine. And yes, I've done the demographic research. Most of them are dudes. When you hire a woman at the C-suite and it becomes a press, release, press releasable material, that suggests that it's an unusual event, right? Suggesting that, what's, what's the joke? That in Fortune 500 companies, there are more uh, men named James in the C-suite than there are women, right? That's not a joke. That's, that's data. So hiring women, clearly you're underserved. This is an underserved market. And remember, women are 50 to 51% of the world. And yet, are like three percent of the uh, three to five percent of the C-suite. What if you started by saying not treating women as a oh yeah I guess you too, but said let's start with women. And I think that's where Sephora went, mostly because it's natural to them because they're a makeup company, mostly focusing and uh, 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 catering towards a female audience. Right? You sell makeup. Most of your people who walk in the store and buy things are women. Right? 
You're naturally used to being surrounded by women. You're naturally used to hiring women. You're naturally used to working with women. Your vendors are women. Well, then why wouldn't your job descriptions be? Why wouldn't your company be women-focused? The whole point and the reason they're successful and the reason they can say we have a 70% female developer core is because they're women first. Meaning, they're very different. Their everything down to their job description says we're different. And if you like that difference, cool, apply. And if you don't, cool, there's a million other places to go apply. Quick interruption. The goal here is to change the conversation around recruiting, hiring, and employer brand. The only way we can achieve that goal is with your help. And that is not with money, not with sponsorship. No, 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 no. It's to just simply share us and review us. Simple as that. Just review us wherever you get podcasts, share us on social media, say nice things about us or complain about us. I, that really is completely fair. Uh, that's all we really ask. That's all. Thanks so much for joining us and uh, let's get back to the show. Do you get it? Being different is the point. It's not a, oh yeah, it's a start with being different. And we're so obsessed. And I think part of this is because marketing's trained us this way, that you focus on how the biggest possible audience size. And we still look at numbers like reach and impressions and ATS funnel numbers to say, how many people applied for that? I recently hired someone where 20 people applied, 22 people applied for that job. And I am pumped and thrilled by the person I hired. I am pumped and thrilled by the last three applicants. 20 people applied for this job. You'd expect 100. You'd expect I'd need 100 or 150 or 200 to find one or two or three great applicants. I needed 20. I knocked on a few doors. When I interviewed smart people, I said, hey, do you know anybody else who'd be amazing at this role if you're not in love with this role? I got a name. I, that person was fantastic. I didn't need 200. Why? Because I started off with this idea of, look, I'm not offering just a job. I'm offering something very, very different. I started off by embracing the different part. I didn't find a way to glom on being different to the end. I didn't put a, a patina of different on the standard job description. I start with a, hey, this is what we're about. This is why we're about. This is why I'm here. And this is what I think you're going to get out of this. I'm going to be your boss. So this is what I want you to get out of this. Very specifically, I want you to learn these things. I want you to grow as a person. And apparently a lot of people went, yeah, I'm not good with that. But the people who showed up were fantastic. Being different was entirely the point. And as I listened to people have conversations at Talent, Talent Brand Summit, I heard it in the subtext, it was this assumption that we need to reach the maximum audience size. When we gave us a challenge of saying, here's $1,000, how do you reach a certain kind of audience? The goal wasn't to say, how do you reach that one person? The goal was, how do you reach 1,000 people much like that person? And that's wrong. You can't hire 1,000 people like that person. But there's a safety in saying, well, I found a lot of people like her. Which one did you want? You just need the one, right? Or maybe even 10. Maybe you're growing a whole team of these people. Get 10, max out. But you don't need a thousand. You gotta understand who you really are, and what you really want, what you really care about. Now, recruiters are terrified of this idea because it's not how we usually do things, is it? 
Entire ATS industries are designed around this idea of funnels. I'm going to bring in, help you manage the 200 people for every job rack so you can figure out which one was worth managing. And I'm going to help you visualize how they walk through the funnels and how, who makes it to each stage. And you know, then we're going to have metrics that say what percentage happened and who cares? What does it matter that 20% of the applicants got a phone screen versus 5% of the phone screen? 5% of the applicants got a phone screen. That's a function of the number of people applying and the quality of people who, who applied. But the percentage doesn't see that, right? It's a number that makes no difference. Who cares if 5% got a phone screen versus 20%? You're still only hiring one person. And you're still looking for a purple squirrel. You're still looking for that one person who has this skill and this trait and this attribute who did this one thing that one time. Something magical. And we're all, and I mean all, and because I'm in the same boat. I do it myself. I see people at my day job. I see people in other companies do it. And that's the focus is they say, how do we extend the reach? How do we get bigger? How do we expand our audience? How do we uh, be louder, amplify when the goal instead is to be different? What's the joke? Uh, only a thousand people bought that first Velvet Underground uh, album, but every one of them started a band. It had huge impact despite the fact that nobody listened to it the first go-round, that it didn't sell a million copies. And there are plenty of albums that 10, 20, 15 years ago, sold a million copies that at that moment were super, super famous that right now you're like, who? Well, they kind of went away real fast. I mean, you know, not to get too crazy, but who remembers the Gin Blossoms? They got one good song. That album sold a lot of albums. They were super famous for about a hot second. And now their cultural impact is, you know, in a compilation of 90s songs that you go right along with Chumbawamba and the Cranberries, and you're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Did they make an impact? No, they made their money and they got the hell out. Did everybody who listened to a Gin, Blom Gin Blossoms album start a band? No. Did everybody who started listening to a Gin Blossoms song become a poet? No. They became, not to diss them, I mean, I owned that album, but they were wallpaper. They sounded like Tonic. They sounded like Third Eye Blind. They sounded like so many other bands. Being different was entirely not the point. When Nirvana dropped in 91, being different was the point. They sounded like exactly no one else. They were still appealing. They were still interesting. They were still incredible to see live. They were still, it was an incredible album, but being different was entirely the point. They didn't sound like Motley Crue. They didn't sound like uh, uh, Michael Jackson. They sounded like themselves in a completely new way. That being different was entirely the point. And so if you're trying to attract that purple squirrel, that one person who's magical, that one person is so different that there's only one of them, you can't use standard squirrel bait to attract the purple squirrel. You need purple squirrel bait. Which is why I love to go about that content because content is about telling a story that tells people you're not going to be happy here, but tells the purple squirrel, oh, you are going to love it. This is entirely the place for you. That's why content is purple squirrel magic. Because you can't tell a story, a good story, that doesn't sound like everybody else. Your story that's good is authentically you.
Stories that do sound like everybody else, again, you're missing the point here. You're you're focusing on ex- ma- maximizing your reach. You're saying something vaguely nice to people who will not be useful to you, who you would never in a million years hire. So be different. Embrace that difference. Find that difference. Uncover that difference. And when you think you understand that difference, dig more. You can be more different. You can be more unusual. Remember, even if you're the big old company, you're still only going to hire 100,000 people this year. That's a tiny, 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 tiny fraction of the 7 billion people walking the earth right now. It's okay to be different. You can still hire on scale, on mass, by being different. You just have to know who you truly are, how to convert that difference into a motivation, and how to turn that mo- and re- reflect that motivation onto people so they go, yeah. I'm motivated by that too. How can I help? That's the goal. That's the purpose. That's what really employer brand truly is. It's about showing off how you're different, right? We talk about Red Cross versus Goldman Sachs. We talk about teachers and versus lawyers. Why do X job over Y job? Why do it at this company over that company? Because you've made a choice. And a choice is a function of understanding the difference between two things. If I walk up to you and say, I hear, here's a red pill and a blue pill, and I don't tell you which one does which, you're not choosing, you're being random. But if I say the red pill is going to lead to hard work, sweat, blood, sweat, and tears, time, lost time with your friends, lost time with your family, stress, a little bit of lost sleep, a little too much coffee. But what you're going to achieve is X and Y and Z. But blue, it's eight hours a day. But the rewards are different. That's a choice. Notice what I did? I told you the difference between red and blue. And thus, knowing the difference, you were able to make a choice. Until we can present candidates with a true difference, being different is the point, they can't choose. We're just carnival barkers begging them to enter our particular tent saying the same words that everybody else says. And that sucks. And I don't think you should be forced to do that. Just saying. All right. That was a well, almost half an hour. That's a good one. I got into that. So <laughs> as always, leave a review, tweet me, find me on LinkedIn, whatever. I am taking a break this summer. So July and August, we're going to hold back on episodes so I can recharge my brain and make sure that the next episodes you, the next episodes you get after the break are just as chock full, if not more chock full of good, useful information as these. I don't want to spread the peanut butter too thin, he said, using the metaphor yet again. So next week is our last episode for till summer break, and then that will be that. But I'll still be online. I'll still be tweeting. I'll still be doing stuff, and I'm still doing what I'm doing. So definitely come talk to me, argue with me, find me, ask me how I, tell me how I can help. Love to hear it. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. And I will talk to you next week. Bye-bye.